Matthew chapter number 17. This is one of those sections that I would love to spend the rest of the service and probably even longer talking about what we read about. Uh, but we're not going to do that. I just simply want to point out something in a little bit uh, concerning a certain statement found here, but we need to consider it in the context of what's going on. Matthew 17, verse 1. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. And he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his remnant was as white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, that's Elijah, talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. As I read this, several things come to my mind. I, I'm reminded that it's very easy for good people to be badly confused. That happened more than once with the apostles and especially with Peter. It also reminds me that some people are more concerned about an emotional experience than they are about doing God's will. You would be amazed how many churches and how many Christian people this morning as they meet together their only concern is not for the truth. It's not for the result of seeing the soul saved and folks added to the church. It's all about what they get out of it. There have been so many times I've heard people say, well, you know, I just quit going to church. I wasn't getting anything out of it, and I just feel like slapping them. You know, they probably didn't put anything into it. But I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, listen, I believe there ought to be an emotional experience. That's well and good, but if, there's got to be a whole lot more to it than that. And Peter is all excited whenever he makes this foolish suggestion, which reminds me that some people decide what they want to do instead of discovering God's plan for what he wants them to do. We see examples of that all of the time. You know, and what, what happens is people make their plans and then ask God to bless their plans instead of finding out what God's plan was. Well, there's another thing this morning that this reminds me of, and that's the fact that some people are distracted from the main thing by other things, even good things. I mean, you've got to agree this would have been an amazing experience. 
all of a sudden to see Moses and Elijah there with the Lord. Wow, I mean, that that's one of those knock-your-socks-off moments. I mean, this is something you're never going to ever forget. But it's very obvious that all of a sudden that Peter is distracted from the main thing. And, of course, the main thing was the Lord Jesus Christ. My job is to try to keep your focus on Jesus. To do that, I have to keep my focus on Jesus. And let me tell you, uh, that's not as easy as you might think. Oh, I know it's, you know, we can just glibly say that. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm always looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. You know, I, I, my eyes are on Him all of the time. I don't know who you think you're kidding, but it's not me. Because I'm telling you, there are so many times that Satan will use just about anything imaginable to get your eyes off of Jesus. You know, it was common many years ago, back when I started preaching, and I've seen it over and over again. I'd be preaching a revival meeting somewhere and look down at the pulpit, and there would be a little placard there based on John 12:21, where it, they said to Philip, Sir, we would see Jesus. Maybe we ought, to, we ought to put that back on pulpits nowadays because sometimes preachers forget that. And that's my hope this morning that you'll see Jesus. Notice verse number 5, and this, this is what I want you to get in the last part of verse 5 where the Lord speaks. Now notice... He says, while he, that is Peter, is still talking. And whenever I, I sat at my desk this morning, I read that, and I couldn't help but think, I wonder what else he would have said. What other stupid suggestion that he might have made. While he yet spake, and God <laughs> cut him off. And, and so the Lord spoke from heaven, and notice he said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Hear him. Well, he's not here in a bodily form this morning, so we can't hear him as they did in that day. But it's like somebody said, if you want to hear God's voice, read the Bible. Because that is God speaking just the same as if it were Jesus Christ himself standing here. Every preacher delivers his message with the hope that somebody is going to be affected by it. And, of course, he's a lot of times disappointed with the results, but that's his hope going into the message that it'll be life-changing for someone. But, you know, sometimes the preacher himself is the one that is most affected by the sermon. It's amazing what preachers can, uh, can learn from their own sermons. You know, he not only profits from preparing the sermon, but he also profits as a result of preaching the message. And the fact is, you know, if, uh, if the preacher doesn't profit from it, uh, it's doubtful that anybody else will. If I don't get anything out of what I preach, you probably won't either. Now, I've said all of that to say this. And that is that I was deeply affected last week by my sermon. But what my sermon said, maybe I ought to put it that way. 
I wasn't impressed with my delivery. I wasn't impressed with my vocabulary. I wasn't impressed with my personality. I wasn't impressed with anything about me. But there in Luke 6 and verse number 46 where Jesus said, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? The title of the message was a question from the one with all the answers. A question from the one with all of the answers. And uh, I put a strong emphasis upon that part where Jesus said, The things which I say. And, and, and I challenge the folks to think about that, not only in the, in, in the sermon itself that he was preaching at that time, but also in light of his entire earthly ministry, the things that Jesus said. Think about that for a little while. And remember, it says, never a man spake like this man. I mean, if anything ought to get our attention, it ought to be what Jesus said. Amen? Because nobody else ever spoke like He did. And here we read where God the Father says, This is my beloved Son. Hear ye Him. That's what we should do. I said last week that He demands and He deserves our attention, our adoration, and our allegiance. And before I look at the message uh, and the message itself, the content of it, I want you to think about the manner in which Jesus spoke. Unless God changes something, I'm going to be preaching every week for no telling how long on the things Jesus said. The things Jesus said. Remember, ever a man spake like this man? Remember, God said, hear ye him. So what was the manner in which Jesus said what he said? First of all, it was with authority. And we got to start there because that's the key to everything else. He said, he said, remember, this is the Son of God. This is an obligation. It's not an option. We're commanded to hear him. So to do that, we've got to read God's word, right? Hebrews chapter number 1 and verse 1 and 2 says that God hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. He's the one that created the universe. He's the one that controls the universe. He's the one that commands the sun and the moon and the stars and the wind and the waves and everything. He exerts His authority over absolutely everything, including the beast of the field. And we are to be subject unto Him. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And it behooves us to listen to what He says and obey what He commands. Why? Because of His authority. We have several police officers here in the congregation. And, and uh, you, you know, if one of them said stop in the name of the law, I'm, I'm going to stop and if he said, stop or I'm going to tase you, I'm going to fall down flat on my face because I don't want to get tased, you see. But, but some of the rest of you might say, stop what you're doing. Stop right there. I'm not going to pay any attention to you. You don't have a badge. You don't have a gun. Well, you might have a gun, but you don't have a badge. You don't have any authority. 
You see, and, and authority is the thing that makes all of the difference in the world. We're, we're not talking about some preacher issuing a command that we do this or that. We're talking about what Jesus said and the authority that he has. So he spoke with authority. Not only did he speak with authority, he spoke the truth. In fact, in referring to himself, he said, I am the way, the what? The truth. He, he is the truth. And, and again and again in the Bible, he's referred to as the truth. Uh, of all of the people that we could quote, there are none that can compare to Jesus Christ. The sad thing is a lot of times we put a lot more stock in what men say than we do what Jesus said. We say it all of the time. You ask somebody what they believe, and you know, and they'll tell you what they believe, and you ask them why they believe it. Well, oh, that's what our pastor teaches. Well, that doesn't make it right. You say, well, Brother Stone said, well, Brother Stone's nobody. And that doesn't make it right because I said something. And there are too many times we listen to what people say than what God says. You know, somebody says, well, I just don't spank my children. Dr. Phil doesn't believe in it. Well, Dr. Phil needs to read his Bible because he's wrong. And the Bible's right. Who are we going to listen to? You see, that's why we're in the mess that we're in here in America today. That's why the world is so confused is simply because of our failure to listen to what Jesus said. You see, knowing what He said is our only sure defense against false doctrine. We need to hear Jesus. There's so many times, so many people, you know, come up with some strange doctrine that, you you know, you, you maybe you've never heard before and they're very adamant about, you know, the truthfulness of it and what have you. Well, you better check it out with what Jesus said. You see, we could study what Jesus did. That's wonderful. Some of you might remember I have an entire series of messages entitled Miracles with a Message has to do with all of the miracles of Jesus found in the book of John. Every miracle had a message. It's exciting to think about the miracles that Jesus did. Or look, we could talk about what others have said about Him. I love the, especially the old English preachers and the Scottish preachers and some of those, you know, folks, you know, that lived 200 years ago. And I love, I love to read what they wrote about Jesus. I mean, it was, it's almost magical the way people like Spurgeon could use words to paint this word picture that just reach out and grab you by the throat and shake you real good. And I mean, just thrill your heart. But I'm telling you, it's more important for you to listen to what Jesus said. Because, look, what I say about Jesus is not nearly so important as what Jesus said. Think about that. He's the truth. And, and what He says is truthful. But it's not just truthful, it's transforming. It changes us. That's what the Word of God does. It is a living book that changes our life. If your life is not being changed, I can tell you right now, it's because you're not spending time feeding on the Word of God. There's no two ways about it. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. You're either growing or you're backslidden, one of the two. It's transforming. Not only that, it's timeless. I read as much as I could stand the other day of an article that was simply stating that what Jesus said no longer applies. 
Really? I read the part of another article uh, from a preacher, by the way, talking about how that we've got to get beyond using the Bible as our textbook. That we've got to get up and talk to people about all of these different issues and so forth without using the Bible because it's offensive to them and we need to just get up and speak the truth, you know, and enlighten their minds about all of these different issues without, without referring to the Bible. Don't ever quote the Bible. That's what he said. Don't ever quote the Bible. I don't think I've ever read anything more foolish, more stupid than that. I mean, I don't know about you, but whenever the Lord called me to preach, He commanded me to preach the Word. He didn't say preach about it. He said preach the Word. And we do that when we look back at what Jesus said and realize that He speaks with authority. He speaks the truth, but not just that. He speaks in love. Boy, I tell you, I sure fell short when I started preaching. Not... I still fail, but not nearly so much as I did when I started. The only thing that mattered to me was being right. And I can remember it like it was yesterday because I said it so many times. I'd make a statement. I said, you can like it or you can lump it. You can take it. You can leave it. And there's the door if you don't like it. Well, they found the door. I mean, we had more people leaving than we did joining. And, you know. And it was a great day in my life whenever I discovered what Paul said in Ephesians about speaking the truth in love. Now, don't listen, don't misunderstand me. Make no mistake about it. Jesus said some very hard things. He didn't pull any punches when it came, uh, came to denouncing sin. He didn't cut any corners whenever He described the demands of discipleship. He said, you've got to forsake everything you have if you're going to be a follower of me. He denounced sin and even used language that sometimes we wonder, you know, a bunch of snakes, really? Hypocrites, dead men's bones. And here he's using all of these words to describe the self-righteous Jews of that day. But listen to me, never one time did he not speak out of a heart of love. It was a heart of great concern for man's good and God's glory. You know, whenever whenever you know, thank you, Tim, for making mention of Romans 5, 8, and uh, God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, think about that, Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. He didn't say, you know, you've got to straighten up and fly right and do everything that you should, and then I'll love you. No, He said, I love you. Just, just like you are. For me, it was a drunk and a honky tonk, and he said, "I love you. I love you, just like you are. I don't want you to stay the way you are, but I love you." And, and, and look, whenever you're really convinced that somebody loves you, it makes all the difference in the world in how you respond to what they say. And I'm telling you, the Lord didn't give you any reason to not respond to His commands or follow His counsel because He loves you and He proved it. He spoke in love. He spoke with wisdom. He spoke with authority. And uh, whenever I said He spoke with wisdom, I'm talking about the fact that the Bible says that Christ is the wisdom of God. 
He's not just the truth. He is the wisdom of God. So I can have complete confidence in whatever he says. I know that whatever he says is right. You know, I don't have to question that. I know whatever he says is best. There's a big difference between the two. You can have several things that are right, but you know one's not necessarily as good as the other. But whenever God says something, it's always right, it's always best, it's always safest. In other words, He's the perfect standard by which we ought to judge everything. Whenever we judge our life, for example, it ought to be in the light of who Jesus is and what Jesus said. We're still talking about we're still talking about the manner. We'll get to the message in another message. I'm talking about the manner in which Christ has spoken to us. It's with authority. It's the truth. It's out of the heart of love and with wisdom. But also, he spoke in regards to a wide variety of different subjects. If we took a survey this morning and I asked people, you know, the average person what Jesus taught, most people would focus in on just a few things, probably starting with love. Go out here, you know, like the man on the street and stop people on the corner and ask them, do you know what Jesus taught? And most of them would start with the subject of Jesus taught, you know, we all love one another. And by the way, Jesus did teach that. But I'm telling you, that's not at the top of the list. You know, sometimes we think we know what the Lord did whenever we really don't. That's not all He spoke about. That is not the core of what He spoke about. I'm going to speak about the content in just a little bit. But we need to consider the core of what Jesus spoke about. And Lord willing, I'm going to do that tonight the things that Jesus said the very core of it and the core of it had to do with the kingdom of God Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God John the Baptist came preaching the kingdom of God the apostles came preaching the kingdom of God and you ask the average person what the kingdom of God is and they don't have a clue really you can even ask some preachers they don't know the difference between the family of God the church of God and the kingdom of God they have no clue as to what the difference is some of them would say they're all one and the same but that was the core but but think about the content and boy you just run through the bible and you look over and over at all of the different things he spoke about and and and, and I've rattled my brain this week trying to think if I'm going to preach about the things that Jesus said. Where do I start? And when do I end? Because I could do this every Sunday for the next two years and not cover all of it. And and in case you're wondering, I don't have a plan to do that. But we're going to hang around on the subject for a good while nevertheless. We know he spoke about conversion, right? Right? Well, because he, he said to Nicodemus, she must be born again. Jesus had something to say about that. Conversion. Uh, you know, uh, there, there was a time when the old timers used that word convert. They'd say, you know, talk about a revival. I mean, say, how many converts did you have? 
You see, back then, whenever somebody made a profession of faith, everybody just assumed that the the profession of faith was going to lead to a change of one's lifestyle, just like the Bible teaches. We're not saved by our good works, but when we're saved, all of a sudden our life begins to change. We're, we're new creatures in Christ. So Jesus spoke about that. Jesus spoke about commandments, by the way. He, he didn't say, no, if it feels good, do it. He didn't say, use your own judgment. He didn't say, find out what Dr. Who done it, thinks about it, and then do that. He gave commandments. I mean, he just uh, laid down some definite stipulations by which we ought to live. He spoke about our conduct. We think about the Beatitudes, for example, and what is that all about? Well, it matters to the Lord how we live, and he speaks about our conduct. He speaks about our commitment. He speaks about our challenges the difficulties that we're going to face. He told the disciples, you're going to be hated and despised for my name's sake. He spoke about comfort. Isn't it wonderful? You know, he didn't just say, now look, this is how rough it's going to be. But then having done that, he turns right around and he speaks about the birds of the air and the flyers in the field. And he said, look, just as the Father takes care of them, he's going to take care of you. I'm so glad for the words of comfort that Jesus said and the words of correction. But also there were words of condemnation for those that refused to hear and refused to listen. He spoke about the church. He said, upon this rock will I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He spoke about the church's commission. Go ye into all of the world and preach the gospel, etc. Now, the question is, we don't have time to talk about all of those different things, but, but that's not our intent this morning. The question is, what are we going to do about what Jesus said? And I, listen, our attitude toward what Jesus said tells everything about us. And, and in most cases, it's not a pretty picture, folks. Most people either don't know what Jesus said or they don't care what Jesus said. And yet they have the audacity to call themselves Christians. It's so sad and so scary to see people who profess to be a Christian who show no evidence of it. And if that describes you, I beg you to repent before it's too late. Don't be like those described back there in Matthew chapter 7. Remember last week? Those that say, Lord, Lord, have we not done this and have we not done that and we did it in your name. And he'll say, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. I just can't think of anything more horrible than that. For him to say, I never knew you, to be banished from his presence for all of eternity. I hope that's not the case with somebody here this morning. It might very well be. And I, I've got to say and be honest with you, I really suspect it is. I really believe with all of my heart, and I think I could call on any one of my deacons, I think I could call on any of our Sunday school teachers here this morning and have them to stand and every one of them would agree with what I'm saying that not everybody that professes to be a Christian is really truly a Christian. And that's sad. 
Now, maybe you're here this morning and said, but Brother Stone, I know that I've been saved. I, you know, I don't have any reason to doubt my salvation. That's wonderful. I don't either. And, and, and I've got to say, and it's not due to me, it's due to the Lord. I've never doubted my salvation since the day I got saved. I've never doubted whether I'm married or not. Never for one moment did I ever wake up in the morning and say, well, I wonder if I'm married or not. I know I'm married. I remember the day. I remember when it happened. I remember a lot of the details about it. Even at my age, I do. So I know that I'm married. I know that I'm saved. And the Bible says that the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. You can burn my Bible, but you can't remove the witness of the Spirit out of my heart. I know that I'm saved. Now, here's my point. If you don't have any reason to doubt your salvation, don't you give somebody else a reason to doubt it. Because it's one thing to stand up here and say, well, you know, I know that I'm saved and I've never had any doubts about it. It's another thing to live your life in such a way that nobody else has reason to doubt whether we're saved or not. And I'm telling you right now, if pleasing God is not your top priority, they've got reason to doubt. I mean, that will be number one on everybody's list. So the question is, how much does that matter to you? Some of you are saying, what? How much does what matter? See, you're not listening. I said, pleasing God ought to be number one on your list of priorities. How much does that matter to you? Are you determined to live your life in which, your, your, whether it's your neighbor, your classmate, your co-worker, or whoever it is, determined to live your life in such a way that they have no reason to doubt whether you're saved or not? What you do with what Jesus says answers that question. Well, you say, well... I really think I'm doing pretty good. I, you know, I've, uh, I'm, you know, I, I really kind of every once in a while I'll examine my life and I'll look around everybody else and I think I'm as good as they are. You know, so I really think I'm doing pretty good. I, I don't see where I'm any major failures in my life. I mean, after all, you know, we're all human. We all fail, and, and well, you can imagine the rest of their excuses. It goes on and on and on, but. Uh, let me tell you, if you're here and you fail to see any faults in your life, anything that is displeasing in the sight of God, if that describes you, ask the Holy Spirit to help you to see the truth about yourself. Because here's the fact. The fact is we all tend to put ourselves in the best possible light. We, in other words, we give ourselves a better grade than what we really deserve. We all tend to do that. That is human nature, but it doesn't make it right. It doesn't mean that's the wise thing to do. The Bible says we ought not to measure ourselves against one another. And so you might be the best person in this room and still be out of the will of God. It's really disturbing to me to see people that obviously, now listen carefully, to see people who obviously are not able to recognize sin. You say, well, how do you know 
Well, I got Facebook on my computer like you do, and some of you are so stupid and ignorant, you post crap on there that nobody ought to be reading. What's wrong with you? You know I'm telling you the truth because you've got it. You say, well, I don't think you ought to even have it. Well, that's because we got 37 grandkids and you got grandkids begging you. And it's because I put stuff on there that speaks about Christ. Somebody's got to be a light on that dark place. Filthy rat hole of sin. That's all a lot of it is. And you hear people all the time. I'm talking about professing Christians say things that obviously is what are you... You just stand amazed that how can you not recognize that as being sinful? I can get up here and and, and, and preach about a particular subject and what have you, and boy, I could right now, I could, I could help some of you to really leave here in a sour mood. I mean, really, you wouldn't even enjoy your lunch if I said what I'm thinking right now. You know, I get up here and preach my heart out about a particular sin. And the next week, are you kidding me? Sometimes I've just about resolved, and God won't let me do it, but I keep asking permission, Lord, do I ever have to ever preach about modesty again? Do I, please, let me get me off of that hook. I, I'd rather not deal with that. Because I know, I know, I know from past experience, whether it's that subject or 411 other things that I could mention, I know going into it that some people, regardless of what you say or how you say it, it's not going to make any difference to them. They do not recognize sin for what it is. Are we reading the same Bible? I mean, are you even reading your Bible? When you, when you go back to the Old Testament and you look at Israel, and remember, Israel served as an object lesson for us today. They were God's appointed people. They were to be a light unto the Gentiles. But in spite of all of their privileges, they had ears to hear, but they heard not. They had eyes to see, but they saw not. It was not for a lack of information. It was not for a lack of, of, of great preaching. Think about Jeremiah. What a preacher. What a man he was. And, and they refused to listen. But that was then, this is now, what about you? This is my beloved Son, hear ye Him. Are you listening to what Jesus said? Do you understand the danger of not listening to what He said and refusing and ignoring what He said? God's given us all of this wonderful counsel in His Word and these commands. And let me tell you, it is serious, it's dangerous, and it can be deadly for us to ignore Him. Back when I worked for the highway department in Missouri, we had building Highway 65 between Springfield and Branson. We had an elderly couple that just totally ignored all of the warnings and came right down the highway that was under construction, by the way, 
failed to negotiate a turn that they shouldn't have been on when I walked up there after the crash. I could see him impaled on the gear shift thing sticking right through him. Both of them, this elderly couple, dead. Dead as a result of ignoring the warnings that had been given. And every week, when I stand here before this congregation that I love more than any church on the face of this earth, I know beyond any shadow of it out there are people that are going to ignore whatever I say. And I'm telling you, that's dangerous. It doesn't make any difference if I say it or one of our Sunday school teachers say it. If Jesus said it, it's right. If Jesus said it, it's not just right, it's the best course of action for our life. If Jesus said it, that's the only safe route to take. If you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to know you could. You could right here before you leave. You can, beyond any shadow of a doubt, know that you're a child of God. And we want to give you that opportunity and we'll help you however we can. If you're here and you're a child of God but not in the will of God, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to just keep ignoring it and pretending like it's not so? Or are you going to listen to what Jesus said and do something about it? I can't make that decision for you. Mom and Dad can't make it for you. But I tell you, you better make the right decision while there's time. Let's stand together. Father, how we thank you for not only the information, but the stern warnings that you've given us in your word. Not only for the information and the warnings, but we thank you for your expressions of love, your deep concern for each and every one of us here today. Lord, help us to condition ourselves. Help us, Heavenly Father, to get our focus off of the things of the world and to focus on the things Jesus said. May we indeed hear Him. And then, Lord, may we obey Him in a way that would be pleasing in Your sight. For we ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.